Is this on? I think so, maybe. <laughs> Sweet. Good evening. How are we doing? My name is Reed. Um, I was actually rehearsing saying good evening instead of good morning, because usually when you give a sermon, it's in the morning, so I had to practice that in my head multiple times, so I hope you're proud of me. But anyways, flip in your Bibles to Hebrews 4. We're going to be starting in verse 14 and going through chapter 5, verse 10. As you're flipping there, be thinking about if you've been going through trials, tribulations, hard times lately, how would you say your response has been to that? Have you been leaning into God, or have you been turning away from God? Because oftentimes those trials and tribulations can lead to one of those two kind of radical responses. Um, so if you're going through that, be thinking about that, and then consider that as we're going through this passage, um, which talks about the high priestly ministry of Jesus. All right, so chapter 4, starting verse 14, I'll read through 510. Since then we have a great high priest, one who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of that, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right. So, main idea. If you're going to take one thing away from this passage today, uh, take away this. And I'll try to reinforce it as we go along. That we ought to rely on Jesus, our perfect high priest. Um, and again, as we go through this, we see how Jesus serves as our great high priest. Um, you may be thinking, what all does that mean? What all does that entail? Um, but we're going to talk about that and go through that. And I think this is something actually very important to look over as a church, the entire book of Hebrews, which has this as a theme. Because um, oftentimes it doesn't really get talked about and people um, can be confused um, when they hear that Jesus is our great high priest. So let's get into it. Right off the bat in 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Well, what makes Jesus such a great high priest? Um, well, it's that his priestly ministry is so much superior to that of the former. And we'll get into the former a little bit 
um, which starts in chapter 5. Um, but many, there's a couple other passages before this in Hebrews that kind of um, hint at Jesus being our great high priest. It's mentioned a couple times, but it really dives into it at first in this passage. Um, in two, chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Um, and then in 3.1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And again, as we go throughout Hebrews, um, it is a big theme. Um, but Jesus, again, he's a great high priest. We'll dive into that more about why he's so much greater than the former. But what's his job as our high priest? I mean, his job as our great high priest, and what does that even mean? Well, his main job is that Jesus, as high priest, intercedes for us to the Father. You might be thinking, well, what does that even mean? What it means is Jesus, he is constantly pleading our case to the Father that we are righteous and that we are saved. And not that we're righteous on our own accord. Of course not. We're all sinners. Um, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, his righteousness is given to us. And that lasts forever because Jesus, as our high priest forever, constantly intercedes for us and pleads that case to the Father so that when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He's not seeing our own sin. Ultimately, that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. You know, a lot of Christians think it's like that God just forgets about our sin and lets us go into heaven because he feels bad for us. But if God were like that, he wouldn't be a very good God because he wouldn't be a very just God. And he would let sin not be punished. But God is just. And all sin must be punished. But that punishment for sin was placed on Christ so that Christ's righteousness could be given to us. And Jesus is our high priest, and again, he does this forever. His ministry lasts forever. We'll talk about the former high priest who is temporary, mainly because they eventually died. They can't live forever. So, um, but Jesus' ministry lasts forever, and he constantly intercedes for us. And that's his main job as our high priest. Again, he's our great high priest because that ministry um, is far superior than the high priest who came before him, the Levitical priest in the Old Testament. And again, we'll talk about that. Um, and part of that reason, in verse 14, it talks about, it says that Jesus had passed through the heavens. Jesus had a home in heaven. And part of that ministry was that he had to give up that home in heaven to become a man. Um, and that was necessary so that we could be saved. And it was necessary that he go through the human life so that he could be our great high priest. Um, and again, we're going to get into that as well. But he gave up his home in heaven to become man uh, for us and because of his compassion for us. So then we get into verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus has been through all of the suffering of the human condition. We see many examples of that in the Bible. Um, and he's really done it to the maximum magnitude, um, to the maximum level of suffering in every way. So a couple examples. One, um, hunger and temptation we see in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. 
when Jesus um, doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Um, 40 days is about the max you can go without dying, without eating food. So Jesus knows what it's like to have extreme hunger. And then in that moment, he's also tempted to sin by Satan himself. So imagine being starving to the point of death, and then you're also being tempted by Satan. Jesus knows the full extent of hunger, the whole full extent of temptation in that passage. Another example, um, serving in ministry and fatigue. We see in Mark 6 in the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples know that he is tired and weary and he needs rest. He said, Jesus, let's go find somewhere to sleep. But Jesus has compassion on the hungry crowd who wanted to see him. And he serves this crowd even in the midst of being very tired. It's hard to know exactly how tired he was. But he needed sleep. And yet he suffered through that and served the crowd and uh, performed a miracle and fed the 5,000. And of course, what probably first comes to mind is the suffering on the cross, both physical uh, and even in a much greater way spiritual. Um, I don't know if you knew that um, the term excruciating, when it talks about pain, that comes from the Roman crucifixion. Because it's probably, it's at least up there with the worst ways you can die. Um, and the Romans, they came up with it on purpose because they were so uh, fixated on having order and no one revolting against them um, that they would come up with the worst possible way someone could die to scare people from ever turning against them. So Jesus goes through that. And again, you can talk about that forever, how horrible it is. Um, but Jesus goes through that physical pain, the greatest physical pain on earth as far as I'm concerned. Um, but even greater spiritual pain, again, taking on the punishment for our sin on that cross, complete and in full, so that we wouldn't have to, and so that we could receive his righteousness. So he knows about the weight of sin. He knows about physical pain. He knows about tiredness. He knows about hu being hungry, being tempted. And these are just some examples. You can go all through the Gospels, and you'll see many ways in which Jesus suffered. Um, he knows about all of that. And so, um, but not just that, he also knows about the positive parts of the human experience. He knows about laughter. He knows about fellowship with his disciples and the joy that he had with them. Um, so it wasn't just about the pain, but he also learned about... Um, the good things that can come from being a, a human. He became fully man. And so why is this important? Well, first off, he did all of this without sin. And that's what makes him our great high priest. High priests of old, again, we'll get into it more, they had sinned. And so they, didn't, they couldn't cut it. It was an imperfect system. It could not last forever. It could not take away sin. And that was part of the old covenant, and so um, the Israelites did it, but that could not last forever. It had to be someone who had not sinned. And Christ was the only one that could do that because he was God. And so that's a big part of that. He went through the entire experience of human suffering and yet did not sin. And we do that so very often. He never did. And oftentimes I actually hear from people, they'll say, well, if God, Jesus could never sin, did, was he really tempted? Was he really tempted if he could never sin? Because he's God, he couldn't sin. How could he have been tempted? 
I would argue he was tempted in an even much greater way than we could ever be tempted. Because as sinners, sometimes we choose to sin. And sometimes we have that opt-out. Now, hopefully, as we're growing our relationship with Christ, we choose to obey him and not sin more and more and more. But Jesus, when he was tempted, he could not give in, ever. Even in the greatest temptation, Jesus can never have sinned. And so that's what makes his resistance to sin so great. Is he didn't have the option. His temptation was great. Um, and again, went through all the sufferings of a person. Um, but never, ever sinned. And so in light of all this, we get to 16, and it tells us how we should respond to that. One thing I like about the book of Hebrews, it's kind of like a logical deduction. So if we think of, okay, so we have this great high priest, and this great high priest, he never sinned, and he's a perfect great, great high priest. So what response should that lead to? And 16 tells us, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our response is to go to God, especially in times of suffering. Now, why should we go to God in times of suffering? Everyone tells you that, but why? Because he's been through it, and he knows. A lot of times, it's especially... Um, tempting if you're really in depression and deep depression to think, you know what, no one really knows exactly what I'm going through. No one really knows. My set of circumstances is very unique, and no one really understands the depth of my suffering. And you know what, there's a chance maybe you could go around this planet and not find someone with the exact set of circumstances you have, and to that extent, you might be right. But you know, Jesus, he does know, and he knows in a much greater way. That's what makes Jesus such a great high priest, is that he's not just God on his throne, unexperienced with the human life, so he doesn't understand. No, he became man, started as a baby, grew in wisdom and knowledge, and he worked like we worked, except he did it all without sin. And he understands the human condition completely. And so we can confidently go to him because he can give us the answers that we need. He says, I've been through that, but follow me and trust in me. I have a plan for you and for your life. He died on a cross for you, and he died on a cross for me. How could we not trust him when things get hard and through our suffering? It only makes sense. It doesn't make sense any other way. Um, but again, his experience as a, as a person, as a human, that's what makes him such a great friend for us. He's our friend. You know, for the Israelites, God wasn't really their friend. They didn't have that access to God like we have. We can talk to God at any time. We can talk to Jesus. In the old system, in the old covenant, they didn't have that. But we do. That's what makes Jesus our great high priest. All right, let's move on. Now we get to chapter 5. It talks about the former high priest. 
Um, in verse 1, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. All right, so the former high priests, they were appointed. What does this mean? Well, in the Levitical priesthood, um, of course, the first was Aaron, and then there was many that came after, but there was a very... Um, there's a set of qualifications that they must, must have as well as being appointed by God for that high priestly ministry. So um, some, but not all of the examples. Of course, they must be of a priestly descent. So that must have been from the line of Aaron in the Levitical tribe. doesn't matter how qualified in any other way anyone else was. They had to be from the Levitical tribe. That's just how it was. Um, they must not have any physical defects. Um, talks about that in Scripture. It's another example. Um, men must be men of great wisdom and faith in the community. Um, and again, the big one, they were called by God and appointed by God um, to the ministry. And again, they could be qualified in every, every other way. If they weren't appointed by God, uh, they weren't to be um, the high priest of the Israelite people. And what was their main ministry to the people? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Not only for the other people, but for themselves. Of course, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves because they too were sinners. And so they, in fact, they first had to offer sacrifices for themselves so then they could be considered clean to then serve the Israelite people. This makes it a very imperfect system. There was many rules. And in fact, the, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one day a year um, to offer a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And again, it's just they didn't have the access to God that we have, and it's just a very imperfect system. And Hebrews actually tells us, it says, the blood of bulls and goats ne never took away sin. And so really, it was just looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ, which took away the sins of all believers. It was truly never sufficient in and of itself. Um, one example in Leviticus 16, when it talks about Aaron entering the Holy of Holies on uh, that day of atonement, um, it talks about him having to offer sacrifice for his own sin before he could go in, because Aaron wasn't perfect. None of those high priests were perfect. Now, again, they were men of great faith, um, and they loved God and trusted in him, um, but they weren't perfect. They were sinners, so it was a very imperfect system. And so why is the ministry of Jesus superior? Um, that's what we get to um, when we get in verse 5. Um, one thing I actually wanted to point out before that, though, um, the high priest, almost an advantage of them being a sinner is that they could deal gently with the people, as it talks about in verses 2 and 3. It says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of that, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does uh, for those of the people. Of course, the high priest would understand the condition of the sinner, because they were sinners themselves. And again, these men usually were man, uh, men of great repentance, so they understood they were terrible sinners. And they had repented of their sins. And so they had a compassion, as it describes it here, for the ignorant and the wayward, or those that were um, lost in their sin um, as Israelites. 
because they understood that. They understood that they too uh, are sinners. And so that almost makes it seem like there's a problem for Christ being our great high priest for two reasons. One, Christ is not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. So in that sense, according to the rules of the Levitical priesthood, Christ does not qualify as our high priest. He doesn't qualify. But also, we kind of already talked about this, but how can Christ be compassionate when he's not a sinner? How can he understand what it's like? And again, I already kind of spoiled that one. We talked about that a lot. But those are two kind of big problems um, which God solves. And he orchestrated a perfect plan so that we could be forgiven. But the big one, let's talk about how Jesus is qualified even though he's not from the tribe of Levi. Um, the author of Hebrews answered this. Um, and one way that he's qualified, he was called by God to the ministry. Jesus didn't exalt himself as our great high priest. It was the Father that commanded him to do it. And so Jesus obeyed. And Jesus from eternity past... And he will to eternity future, always obeys the Father. That is their role in the Trinity. We see an example of that in creation. Um, in John 1, it talks about how the Son was active in creating the world. The Father speaks, the Son acts. The universe is created. Jesus obeys the Father. And Jesus was called into this high priestly ministry. He was called to become a man, to live the perfect life, to die for our sins, and to intercede for us. Forever. He was called to that, so of course he obeyed. That's what he does. He serves in obedience. Um, he, again, he didn't exalt himself to that, he was called to that. But even though he wasn't from the tribe of Levi, he still qualifies as our great high priest. And the author of Hebrews says it in this way he says, and he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek guy, and why does that allow Jesus to qualify? Um, the Bible talks about Melchizedek very briefly outside of Hebrews. They talk about him a lot, and they make him seem really, really important, which he is, but in the Old Testament, you don't hear about him much. Um, we really have one example in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. It talks about him. Um, it's a story of Abraham um, having an encounter with him. And this is what it says. Um, you don't have to flip there if you don't like, if you want to, if you want to just listen. Um, but 14, 18, 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, professor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. All right. And that's, that's it. That's about all we know about Melchizedek in the Old Testament. Um, it's not a ton. It says he is a king of Salem. It says he was a priest of God. Um, but then we flip to Hebrews 7, and it says this about him. Um, fast forwarding. Um, about Melchizedek, it says... It says, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest 
forever. So this Melchizedek, he's almost very mysterious. And there's a lot of different views from scholars as to who he actually was. Ranging all the way from he was a great king and a high priest of God. But all documents about when he was born or who he came from, we just don't have them and we don't know. And so it, we just don't know anything about that. Ranging all the way from that to he was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. It's, it's very mysterious. You could study it forever. Um, but there's a very important point to it regardless. Melchizedek is an illustration for the high priestly ministry of Jesus. Melchizedek says he didn't have a beginning of days nor an endly life. And it says that his priestly ministry endures forever. And that's exactly the ministry of Christ. The priests of old is imperfect in many ways. But first off, again, they couldn't serve forever because they were mortal. They died. They were sinners. And it just couldn't happen forever. But the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus ultimately couldn't come from that system, from that Levitical priesthood system. It had to be something else. It had to be something greater, a priesthood after the order, order of Melchizedek, which again illustrates what the priestly ministry of Jesus will be like. It, will endure, it does endure forever. It never ends. Jesus constantly intercedes for us to the Father. And of course, Jesus didn't have a beginning of days. He did as a man on earth, um, but he's always existed. Um, and he will always serve as our high priest. Jesus did die, but he rose again. So, Jesus, all of that to say, Jesus is more than qualified to serve as our great high priest, and he does. And again, we can rely on him. Because of all of this, we can always rely on him. We can always go to him, both in times of great joy. He understands that experience, too. He can celebrate with us. He knows what that's like. He also knows what it's like to go through great suffering. In fact, greater suffering than we'll ever go through. So he understands that, too. He understands every part of our experience, and he can help us because of that when we need him. All right. Then getting on to verse 7. It says, In the days of flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Um, Ultimately, what this is talking about is the learned aspect of, of Jesus's obedience to the Father. Of course, Jesus has always been obedient to, fa- to the Father, but Jesus had never, up until this point, had to obey God through suffering. That was a new experience. But Jesus did suffer as a man, and even in spite of that, he obeyed the Father. Of course, um, the first thing that comes to my mind when we think of this um, is a story in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is about to be crucified and he's literally crying tears of blood because of um, how much stress he's going through um, for that event about to be happening. Um, And he pleads with God and he prays to God and um, asks, if at all possible, take this cup from me. But at the end of the day, he knows 
that the Father was commanding him to do it, so he did it, even through great suffering that we can't imagine. Um, and so, yeah. But in this passage, it seems to uh, think that there is many more times that this happened, not just in Gethsemane, but it says in the days of his flesh. Jesus went through great suffering all the time, and every time he obeyed the Father, offered up prayer and supplication to the Father, um, and he always obeyed him. And it says, and he, the Father, of course, heard him, but it says, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus had a respect and almost fear of the Father, as we should have. Um, and, and again, always obeyed him. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Again, a learned obedience, an experience that he had never had before, and, but he had to do it for our sin. And again, that adds to his suffering. Why would God, who has a throne in heaven, choose to go through suffering and learn to obey the Father? Why would he do that? What's the point? I feel like if I was God, I would just say, forget it. I'll move on to the next thing. I'm God, right? And he could have done that and been completely perfect and just. He could have sent all of us to hell and said, this was a failed experiment. These people have sinned against me. They must be punished. Let's move on. But instead, um, God, he is compassionate. And he chose to provide a way so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus had to go through so much in order to make that happen. Um, and there's many other things that Jesus learned. Um, for example, in Luke 2.52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature when he was a young boy. Um, he learned how to walk. He learned how to talk. Again, he increased in wisdom. He learned how to work. All of that. Um, there's a lot of things that he learned. And again, he went through all of this because of his compassion for us and so that we could be saved. What did the Son of Man come to do? It says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus went through all of this. And that's why Jesus went to all ends so that he could be our great high priest, but no one else could. All right, now we get to verse 9, and it says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. All right, so being made perfect. You might be thinking, well, Jesus already was perfect. He didn't have to be made perfect. And in the sense of Jesus had never sinned and he never will, yeah, Jesus is perfect. And he always was perfect. So what does it mean when it says that he was made perfect? Well, again, he's perfect in the sense that he was, had never sinned, but he was made perfect in that he had to go through the human experience, which he had never been through, so that he could be our high priest. Jesus couldn't have been our high priest if he didn't go through that human life. He had to be made perfect as our high priest by doing that. Otherwise, he couldn't serve as our high priest. How could he have compassion on us? How could he be our friend? How could he understand what we're going through um, and intercede for us to the Father if he had never been a man? He wouldn't have been able to do it. And also, um, forgiveness of sin requires a blood sacrifice. It talks about that many times in the Bible. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. 
So Jesus had to be a man so that he could uh, be the sacrifice for our sins. And so he was made perfect in that ministry. It was required that he become man. We, we cannot be saved without him doing that. That was the only way. The only way. Um, and of course, you see it so much in the world. Everyone says there's so many ways to heaven. And everyone's got their own way of living life, and it'll lead to heaven. Or if you don't believe in heaven, that's fine. Everyone's fine. That's not true. The Bible says um, that Christ is the only way. He's the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. So either he's a liar or he's the only way. He's either wrong or he's right. Christianity isn't one of many okay outcomes. It's either the right outcome or it's not. That's kind of a side tangent, but anyways. <laughs> All right. And so back to verse 9, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So the perfection of Jesus as our high priest, again, necessary for our salvation. Um, he had to go through that. Um, and again, he had to do it without sin. He could not have sinned. That was necessary. And so because, also because his ministry lasts forever, interceding to the Father forever, our salvation lasts forever. Um, if you go to Romans real quick, 8, 38 through 39. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can stop that salvation. It lasts forever. And you can never lose it if you are a true believer. Those that fall away never had true faith. If you have true faith in God... That salvation lasts forever. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And again, why? Because of what Jesus did for us. It's not anything to do with us. I think that's a big thing, theme of the whole Bible. Everything's about God, not about us. All the good things we can do for God um, in our salvation, it's all because of him. It's not because of us. And because of what Jesus um, has done and will continue to do as our high priest... We can have in a salvation that is eternal. It's not temporary. We're not saved for a short time and then he takes it away. We're saved now, if you are a believer, now and forever. And so because of what all of what Jesus did um, on earth, living the perfect human life, going through all that experience, being our sacrifice on the cross for our sins, he can be considered our great high priest, again, after the order of Melchizedek, the type of Christ in the Old Testament uh, that didn't have beginning or end of days and whose priestly ministry therefore lasted forever. So that's 
That's also kind of where um, that Melchizedek comes from. Again, verse 10, being designated by God a high priest, so he's appointed by God um, after the order of Melchizedek. So again, I think as a summary, as we consider um, Jesus as our high priest, we should lean on him every day. And again, in every part of human life, it talks about suffering in this passage, but also in joy. A lot of times people go through good things and they forget about God. And they say, oh, I can live without God. I don't, why do I need God now? But no, we should rely on our high priest continually. Because again, he understands every part of our life because he went through it. He went through all types of suffering. He understands that. And again, all types of joy. Um, he grew in wisdom. He became a man. And he died for our sins. And he understands what you're going through. So lean on him and trust in him, again, especially in times of hardship, because he knows that the most. So uh, I guess we'll pray, and then uh, that'll be it. Dear Jesus, thank you for this passage in Hebrews. I thank you that because of what you did, we can go to you at any time. There's no curtain anymore separating us from... from you. You tore, the, tore those boundaries and those barriers um, and allowed us to go to you at any time. Um, and I pray that we would rely on you in, um, every day and in every aspect of our life because you are our great high priest. You intercede for us and you know what we're going through um, and you can help us when we really need you um, as we learn this passage today. And I pray this in your name. Amen.